Hey everyone, John Kennedy here, back at it with the Above Board Podcast. Now, you all know that I am not shy in talking about our entrepreneurial journey and how the book Traction and the EOS model has changed our lives. Uh, Today, I'm thrilled to introduce someone that has been massively influential in the EOS movement, Mr. Mike Payton. He has spent his entire career learning from entrepreneurs. Today, he's grateful for the opportunity to give back as an author, speaker, host of the EOS Leadership Podcast, and an EOS implementer himself. Over the last 15 years, he's conducted more than 1,500 sessions of, uh, for leadership teams of more than 150 companies. He's co-authored two books in the Traction Library, succeeded Gina Wickman, and spent five years as the EOS Worldwide's visionary, and now spends all of his time helping entrepreneurs run better businesses and live better lives. He does this by mastering the simple concepts and practical tools we'll be discussing today. Peyton, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, John. Great to be here. Oh, so I'm so excited to have you. And you know, there's no doubt in my mind that our viewers and listeners already know who you are. Uh, but I'd actually love to open uh, with sharing your entrepreneurial story with us because I I've heard you talk about it before. You started four businesses, two were successful, two were, presented some challenges. So I'd like you to uh, maybe share a little bit with us if you don't mind. Yeah, you, you you shared the Reader's Digest version. Two were dismal train wrecks, John, let's be <laughs> candid. So yeah, I, I grew up in a household of entrepreneurs and teachers. My grandparents were teachers. My my parents were entrepreneurs, real estate business in Northeastern Ohio. And, and um, you know, I, I cut my teeth in banking right out of school, much to my father's chagrin. He sat me down and said, you know what Mark Twain said about bankers, right? Peyton, I said, no, dad, what, what did, what did he say? And he said, well, a banker is somebody who gives you an umbrella when it's nice outside and takes it back the minute it starts to rain. So my parents maybe took a dim view of my career choices early on, but I always kind of knew it was a great venue from which to meet some great people, learn about the art and science of business. And so it was, it was great for me. And then I left to run sales and marketing for one of my clients. That was the first of those four entrepreneurial experiences you mentioned, mm-hmm. running or helping run an entrepreneurial company. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot more from the failures as all of us do. And the fourth entrepreneurial experience brought me to the Twin Cities. Uh, I live in outside of Minneapolis and it's where I discovered uh, EOS. I was trying to run a $7 million company uh, as the hired leader for, uh, uh, by a founding entrepreneur and she and I were not on the same page and I a neighbor introduced me to EOS and I haven't looked back ever since for for time perspective when when was this uh, this how, was how long uh, 2006 I moved to the twin cities and 2007 discovered EOS and left the business I flew off to Detroit to meet Gino and his founding business partner Don Tinney in November of 2007 how did you how did you first stumble across EOS and the book Traction? Well, a, a neighbor, um, somebody moved in across the street, and he was a member of uh, uh, the local EO chapter, Entrepreneurs Organization chapter. And as a result, it kind of learned this way entrepreneurs who are members of that or other similar organizations have of consulting all of their friends and neighbors. And so yeah. he was asking me about my business leadership experience and uh when I was acknowledging that I had some challenges and frustrations, he whipped out a first edition copy of uh, Traction 
and went Gino self published in in 2007 and uh, and handed it to me and said, here, you should read this. And it just so turned out that uh, my neighbor was one of Gino's original clients, was written up in the book Traction and uh, and called Gino after he and I had talked a couple of times and said, hey, there's a guy here in the Twin Cities that I think would be really good at what you do. And and he knew Gino would was looking around for people like me. So it was fate. It's interesting how, you know, when you surround yourselves with, with the right kind of people that are influencing you in that way, like I, I had, I shared with you on the pre-call, you know, I had a good friend of mine share the book with me. And, and what's interesting about it is it sat on my desk for a year and I, and, and I read the first, you know, handful of pages and, and, and knew I kept, I would look at it every day and know that I need to open this book. And it wasn't until March of 2020, which was actually the start of COVID. So talk about a very interesting time to say, hey, we're going to change, you know, how we do our, how we run our company um, and a very worthwhile time to do it. But it wasn't until a year later, another friend of mine said, John, you know, we're running 100, 100 person team company. Um, you know, we're running our entire model off of, off of the entrepreneurial operating system. And that gave me that confidence, like hearing that going, wow. I mean, yeah. to hear someone at that scale doing that, and that's where I want to be. You know, talk about our 10-year vision, which we'll get into all that stuff too. Like, that's where I want to be. It was such a motivator to, to hear that and, and you know, give me the, the kick in the pants, so to speak, to do it. Yeah, my, my reaction to traction, I, I, I was drawn in right away. You know, simple, practical stuff that you could see working, not just in dysfunctional organizations. I, I always said, anybody could write a business book to fix a dysfunctional organization because the problems are so glaring and obvious. Right. But what I really liked about it is even in the two really successful, well-run organizations I was a part of, I could see EOS principles and tools really making a positive difference for the people, like living better lives and having more balance and, 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 learning how to delegate without that, you know, push pull of, oh my God, if I delegate too much, the house of cards is going to tumble. And so, so I was really drawn in right out of the gate. And from the first minute I met Gino and Don, I felt like I was put on the planet to do this kind of work and help other people run better businesses and live better lives. It's been a, it's been an absolute joy. I love that. I love hearing that. And not, not only, I mean, it really was just a few short later, few short years later than you wrote, get a grip. Um, and, and I'm kind of curious what your inspiration was for that, because as I read that and I compare that to traction, uh, they're so different. And so this is a two part question. Your inspiration for that is, is number one. And part two is now that you guys have these series of books written in the EOS uh, book library, what would be your uh, if you were if someone was first learning about this today, hearing us talk, what would maybe be your recommendation of the first couple of books to start with? Because for me, I actually like get a grip as the starting book, which we talked a little bit about, but I'm curious your opinion. Yeah. So, well, let's answer that one first and then we'll go back for the inspiration. So the way I answer that is if you want to understand how to apply traction in your own business, how it works, if that's your motivation, traction is easily the, the place to start. Mm -hmm. And and because it's a it's a super engaging with lots of examples how-to book, okay? And it gives you the nuts and the bolts and the basics. Mm -hmm. We wrote Get a Grip because a lot of visionary entrepreneurs don't love reading how-to books or even listening to how-to books. And we wanted to tell a story that would draw the visionary in 
and appeal more to the experiential learners. You know, I learn better by watching other people do something, which is why I love, like I'm actually handy now because I can watch videos of plumbers and electricians on YouTube. And I wasn't able to do that as a young man. And so I had no skills whatsoever because when you look at a manual, that doesn't work for me. And so if you're an experiential learner or you're a visionary who gets bored by how-to books, maybe Get a Grip is a better place to start. Oh, that makes so much sense hearing you say that because I, I, I tend to agree with that statement. And if you spent five minutes with, with Matt and myself, my, my business partner, who's a co-host on the show, you'd realize which one's the visionary and which one's the integrator. And we learned that early on about ourselves as well. Yeah. And it's just, it was, it was such an interesting idea thinking like, because when I read Get a Grip, I'm like, man, this is like, this is really speaking to me. It's giving me the call to action. And it's actually compelling me to really want to dig even deeper into traction. Yeah. So I think, well, talk to me about um, the inspiration for writing the book. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was one of them is the the observation that a lot of the visionaries for the leadership teams Gino and I were working on um, were had not finished traction. Like you'd, you'd see the integrator come into a session and there were little bookmarks and everything throughout the entire book. And you'd ask the visionary what he thought of traction. Oh, the, the introduction was really good. <laughs> and, and so that was part of it is we, is, is we recognized there was an audience out there that maybe traction wasn't, wasn't a perfect fit for. Um, not true of all visionaries by any stretch of the imagination. I'm a visionary and I consumed attraction like that. And so I don't want to scare visionaries away from traction at all. Um, but, but some of them struggle with that. And then the other one is we both love Patrick Lencioni, the business fable format um, and, and, and Michael Gerber, the e-myth, the, the business fable format is a great teaching format. And, and it also gave us an opportunity to share with the readers the order in which we work on the EOS tools, which is different from the order in which they're presented in traction. Mm -hmm. And so those were kind of the two uh, driving uh, forces. And, 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 you know, to be honest with you, as a writer, I was an English major in college. I, I needed to tell a story. There was a story I wanted to tell. So there was something deeply personal about that part of it because the impact we're having on the people who own and run these businesses is the reason EOS implementers are motivated to do this great work every day, not because we're following a process and helping people get great results. We like making an impact on the people we're working with and we wanted to illustrate that input, impact um, and get a grip. You, I, I'm sure you find this, but you guys have raving fans all over the place because <laughs> obviously I, I'm, I'm not an implementer and, and we talked about, so going back to, I think it was episode 48, uh, we, we did an episode called Gaining Traction where Matt and I kind of shared our story about this. But I tell everybody that is willing to listen to me um, that's a business owner about traction and EOS because it's just, for me, it, it became a very useful framework and understanding for how to run a company. And, and we, you know, when Matt and I started, and this is, I'm, I'm curious of your opinion of this, but kind of going back to the friend of mine that I shared with you that, a, you know, hundred you know, person company, you know, he had a perception of, well, we're doing this because there are things that are broken that we need to fix. And I sort of looked at this from the opposite end. And cause his comment to me was like, you read the book, maybe you guys don't need this because it's just you two right now. Right. Um, and it was, it was two of us. Now there's six of us. It's still a very small team. But 
I looked at it differently in that I thought I want to, we aspire to grow to a much bigger company and I want to solve issues before they're potentially even issues. And as you know, having a business partnership where we have this visionary integrator relationship, we wanted to make sure that, and this was, I mean, Matt will tell you too, like this was a, a scary but fun exercise. So we did the VTO separately and, and we came together um, and shared notes. And what was the biggest sigh of relief in the room for him and I was that our 10 year vision of what we listed out was approximately the same. What, cool. what was interesting was we had a different idea of direction on how to, how to of arrive course. at that. Um, but such a good exercise. And so again, I, I, you know, being such an advocate of, of, of the work that you do and Gino does and, and EOS, um, it, you know, I, I feel like no matter where you are in your business, uh, it, it, it can certainly apply. Do you agree with that? Or do you feel like there's a certain, I, I do. It was built for companies, privately held companies with between yeah. 10 and 250 people. And the reason for that is because that's where you begin hitting your first set of ceilings. Mm-hmm. And the motivating factor for an entrepreneur to reach out and get help is, oh my God, I'm stuck for maybe for the first time in my business career. You know, a lot of accidental entrepreneurs, they're passionate about something or really good at something and they recognize they have an opportunity to monetize it. And then they wake up a couple of years later and they've got 42 people on the payroll and they're like, holy crap, I'm not a plumber anymore. I'm running a business. Right. <laughs> right. And, and so when you feel stuck, you're motivated to change your organization. And EOS is a pretty fundamental change in the way you clarify a company's vision. Mm-hmm. Share that vision with everybody else in the organization, assign very clear responsibilities and accountabilities for executing on that vision, and then keep score, right? And, yeah. and you need to be ready for that kind of cultural change before you make it. And so if you're smaller than 10 employees, it doesn't mean you're not going to get value from using the tools or hearing about the system. It just means that you might not have hit your first ceiling yet. And so you, you may not be motivated enough to change the way things are working. So, you, you know, what, what I would share in our instance was there were things that really jumped out at us when we read through the book. And, and I obviously know there's a number of components. And I, I kind of assume for a lot of the listeners, they, you know, they we've talked so much about traction in the U.S. that they know that. But I don't want to take that for granted. But there were certain things that jumped out at us. For example, the scorecard, you know, we're. We're financial planners by trade. I mean, living in Excel, that is my zen. I could I could come up with every metric on the planet Earth <laughs> to quantify how we're doing, our company, our business. And talk about, you know, one of the most challenging things was to tell me I need to, you know, try to come up with six to six to twelve or fifteen uh, you know, benchmarks to be tracking weekly when in my head I'm like, there's fifty at least, you know. That's right. Uh, and and so, but but such a very useful exercise at that time. And now, I mean, we live in we live by that. Every Monday, our level tens, we we go through our scorecard. That is, I think it's thirteen total things that we look at yeah. now. And, well, and, and, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and and John, you know, you 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 touch on something that I think is really important about EOS, and that everything is about clarifying and mm-hmm. simplifying. clarifying and simplifying. And so what's funny to me is that, because I've been in business for a long time, late late 80s, really. Um, You know, I started my business career. 
So in the early days, the reason companies were weak in the data component, most organizations, is that there was no data. Everybody's running by the seat of their pants, relying on gut instinct and anecdotal evidence and all that stuff. Today, the problem is exactly the opposite. You can get data everywhere. The term big data makes me laugh. I don't <laughs> want big data. I want a handful of numbers that gives me real insight into what's really going on in the trenches so I can make better, stronger, faster decisions. And that's sort of everything about EOS in a nutshell for me is our approach to scorecarding. What are the activities-based numbers, the stuff we have to do each week that's going to produce the results we want next month, next quarter, or next year? And if we could just hold ourselves accountable for doing those things consistently well and achieving what we hope to achieve with those activities, oh my God, are we going to feel good about our future? And you know what wakes you up in the middle of the night is when you don't feel good about your future. And so mm -hmm. scorecarding in a very simple way helps you get better at that. And and by the way, the EOS Worldwide's uh, former CFO um, is also a, a spreadsheet junkie. And he once <laughs> said, I actually used a spreadsheet to propose to my wife. Oh, so I love that. Who, who Whoever you are out there, bless you for loving him anyway. That's all I have to say. I think that's hilarious. And, and you know, the, the point really does land that a lot, especially an entrepreneurial spirited person, um, I think we can tend to overcomplicate things. You know, like a really great example, um, when we were identifying our core processes, uh, you know, I uh, one, of, one of those, we call it the canter pathway, but it's, you know, how clients onboard from the moment they look us up online, pick up the phone and call us to the time that they're integrated and we're in, you know, review meeting cycles with them. Um, there is no less than what feels like 10,000 things that could be a part of that. And through your book, actually, Process, which is an amazing, uh, amazing, that's the second one that you wrote, the second one, right? Yep, that's correct. Yep. Um, through this book, I think a lot of what I learned in, in, uh, and I've reread Traction too, by the way. Like, so, just, you know, a quick side story to this whole thing is when we started, we'd really focus on the things that mattered for us at the moment in time that we felt like it did, like the core processes or the scorecard. Now that we have a team of six and not a team of two, the accountability chart has played a much more significant impact of, of you know, and, and we've gone back and reread that. And, and so same thing with process where I read this book and I realize the, the focusing on the simplicity of it is so critical because we can tend to go in and just overwhelm the system and, and complicate it even more. What do you say to folks that, that maybe like me tend to overcomplicate things like that, like our core yeah. processes and such? Well, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to quote Gino Wickman again here. You know, Gino always says some people on the planet are natural born simplifiers and other people are natural born complicators. And truth be told, I'm the latter. <laughs> Did I? I have never met a simple process I couldn't overcomplicate. Why? Why use? I guess two why steps? we get along so well. Yeah. Why use two steps when I could use twelve? And and for the record, I could talk for a long time about each of those twelve steps. And so it, I drive Gino nuts when I do that. But a great team has both on it. And so my, you know, tip number one is lean into the people who are always oversimplifying things. You know. Mm. One of the things that we see in a, in a leadership team is 
people have disdain for folks who are different from them on their team. And so they get frustrated with one another easily. I've learned over time in coaching entrepreneurial leadership teams to really celebrate the teams that are diverse of style, not just race, gender, age, et cetera. Because when you have differing styles, you're going to find the right formula for your organization. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, that's tip number one. And then, and then number two is remember that just because you simplify something doesn't mean you can't come back later and add additional detail and steps. Okay. So, so what I'll say to a team full of complicators, you know, you know, and of the leadership team of an engineering company is everybody's got a complicator, right? Right. And, and, and they're geniuses. They're all brilliant human beings and they can figure out stuff I could never even contemplate, much less figure out. However, we need somebody on that team to say, hey, instead of trying to figure out how every possible iteration of a lead converting to a client might go and write that down in a 75 page process manual why don't we just figure out what the five things we want to do consistently well with every opportunity we get are and teach everybody who's engaged in the sales process how to do that the right and Mm -hmm. best way and trust that sometimes they're going to figure out the steps in between those major steps themselves and screw it up and sometimes they're going to get it right and we'll add detail and complexity as we grow and learn. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and so it's like teaching a kid how to play T ball. You don't teach a six year old how to hit a split fingered fastball on a three two count with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth. That's too complicated. You just teach them where to put their feet in the batter's box, how to hold the bat, how to swing properly and make contact with the ball. Start there and build from there is the way we teach simplification in process and when we're working with our clients as EOS implementers. You, you have to know how well that that analogy lands for me. I, I coached my daughter. My daughter's six. She was five at the time. <laughs> I coached her t-ball team. And, and, and uh, what was really interesting about that experience was, well, this is a sidebar conversation, but the intensity of the parents already at five and six. Couldn't believe that. But having to, I, I played baseball growing up and now I'm trying to remember how, how would I have wanted to learn this and then, and break this down to really like three to four steps yeah. of what to do when, when hitting a baseball, for example. So that analogy lands really well. And I think as, as a, as a fellow over complicator, <laughs> um, and, and I think another issue that I have that I, you know, it's something I'm constantly trying to work on is um, this level of like perfectionism that I have, like this expectation of perfectionism, it can almost disable you to the point where you can't even make a decision on, oh, hey, we're going to write our core process for how we onboard a, you know, a prospect to a client. There's so many things. I don't even know where to to begin. And if it's not perfect, it's not worth doing at all. Um, You talk about this in the book, which I I like the analogy. I actually wrote it down on my whiteboard. um, The hundred, hundred, hundred rule. Yeah. Um, you, would you mind sharing that a little not, bit? Not, not at all. Um, so when, when most, so, so I'll start the story by something funny Gino said to me right after process was published, actually right after it was sent to the printer final version, I did an event for the local EO chapter here in the twin cities. And I keynoted on the subject of process. So 
deeply steeped entrepreneurship, early stage entrepreneurs in this EO chapter because the EO Accelerator members were there and it was actually a rally to help very early stage uh, entrepreneurs get going. And so it was a huge room, very full, very fun. And I gave a 75 minute keynote on the subject of process. And I called Gino afterwards to say, because he wanted to know how it went. And I said, oh, it, we killed it. Everybody loved it. Got a lot of positive feedback. Really good. He goes, so let me get this straight, Peyton. You spoke for 75 minutes to a room full of early stage entrepreneurs about process and they liked it? So, so even Gino is a little circumspect when we talk about this stuff. But the secret here is that every one of us has this view of what a process disciplined organization looks like in our heads, like it's only for corporations and only for government agencies. And so, you know, if your view of process is, it says I'm supposed to take my lunch break at 1115 and I work at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles and there's a line out the door, but because I'm supposed to take my lunch at 1115, I'm going to take my freaking lunch and piss off everybody in the that if that's your attitude about process, you're never going to work to strengthen your own process component. And so what we try to do is say, that's not process. That's an abomination of process. If, if your view of process is a company that's got to document 100% of the steps in 100% of the processes to get 100% compliance, you're never going to do this work in an entrepreneurial company. What we teach is let's do 20% of the work and get 80% of the value from process work. And so that's our whole approach, not just a process, that's Gino's approach to implementing EOS. One of the most common pieces of constructive feedback we get about the process early on when we're working with a new client is, gosh, it's pretty simple. I mean, don't you think you left out a lot of stuff? And what I say back is, yep, thank you very much. And that's what Gino says too. You know, the, the key to this stuff working in an entrepreneurial company is we're not trying to over-engineer anything. We're trying to make things a little bit better and help you build from there. Progress, perfection is the enemy of progress. Winston yeah. Churchill quote, perfection is the enemy of progress. Doesn't need to be perfect. We do need to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. You have a, in the book, you have a good Steve Jobs quote too. It's simple can be harder than complex. You have to work really hard to get your thinking clean to make it simple. That's right. That's right. Hearing a lot of what you're saying, and especially someone that's a perfectionist, you know, and feeling like sometimes you're disabled to even make a decision because, because you want it to be per a perfect step in the right direction. It's like, just take the stride, like just take the step, even if it's an imperfect step, it's still better than doing nothing. And I think with the process stuff, what I'm hearing is, hey, if we if we write out the the five main components of, uh, I'll keep using the you know the you know onboarding a new client. Like if we write out the five main components of what that makes up, what I also like about it, as you said, you can go back in later and you can add more stuff. That's okay to do that if you find that hey, this is really a missing piece and it's maybe a subset of step three. We can go back in and add that. But also there's some variability or trust of, let's say the, you know, if there's a salesperson running that process, you're giving them the creative space to make a decision to fill in the blank on how the situation may need to go because it could go one of 50 ways, right? That's right. What you don't want is to negate the need for people to figure stuff out between the margins. You know, mm -hmm. you don't want a bunch of robots running around and not empowered to 
use their best judgment. And so it's a fine line. And, and, you know, most of my clients, when they're doing their process work, sort of pendulum into the right approach for them. Every organization is different. Every person is different. And so, you know, again, perfection is, and one thing I want to say about perfectionism, I, I would say, if you ask me to give you a percentage of the people who sit around my conference room table as entrepreneurial leadership team members that are hardwired as perfectionists, it's 90%. Right. You are not alone. We hate making mistakes. That's what gives us the energy and the vigor and the discipline and the work ethic to get things right. That's why we crush our competition because we're working harder and more worried about screwing things up than the average person. Mm-hmm. It's also what brings us a lot of unhealthy emotion and inability to delegate, shame when we screw something up, a fear of pointing out other people's failures because when we fail, we feel awful. And so we don't want to make other people feel awful. So I, so I feel like your listeners and viewers need to hear that perfectionism is normal, but mm-hmm. it's a, and, and can be very helpful, but it is a double-edged sword and you need to be careful about that and find your own balance. We, we actually just did a podcast this past week about temporary defeat versus um, versus like absolute failure, like permanent failure and, and why especially as entrepreneurs and business owners, but frankly, anybody listening to this, why it's so important to be able to accept and be okay with failure as part of the process too. If you don't fail regularly, you are not stepping outside your comfort zone often enough and you don't belong in an entrepreneurial company. I mean, I hate to speak in absolutisms, but, but I have to on that one. It is it is, you are never going to grow as a human if you only put yourself in position to succeed 100% of the time. Yeah, yeah, we, we talk a lot. I think, we're, I think we paraphrase this from, from you all uh, about failing forward. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of the things that, that within um, the level 10 meetings and our quarterly rocks meetings, so again, within the framework of, of what's presented in Traction and EOS, is we set these quarterly rocks, both for at the company level and then personal quarterly rocks. And there was, you know, just just part of the whole learning experience of this, I can remember in the first year, we had probably two to three quarters of these of these meetings, right, Peyton? So and and we come in and we're we're going over it with each other and check, we did it, check, we did it, and we completed all these all these rocks. And I remember seeing in the notes of the book, it said, you know, you should be like 80%-ish completion of your rocks. And we kind of had this epiphany after the first year. We're like, oh my gosh, we're not, we're not making our rocks hard enough. Like we're, we're, we're checking these all off. We're not making them hard enough. And again, that's part of the failure. We, we're almost afraid to fail. So we're like, you know, creating yeah. this built-in, you know, uh, default of like, Hey, let's make these easy enough. So we hit them. And that, that was a mistake that we learned. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of that is the business you're in, John, you're, you're, you're taking care of people's money and, and, you know, failure is not an option when you're a trusted advisor, like you guys are. And, and so, you know, a lot of that is healthy, but there's a little bit of that, that if you can just wrangle with it, you know, this is personal development, right? When you, the first thing you got to do is name this thing that's holding you back. And then you got to figure out how you're going to break through that ceiling. And so you're just on that journey and keep, keep 
moving forward. You're going to learn that over time. My clients who complete 100% of their rocks are almost always a little more disappointed than when they busted their tail and 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 they're able to celebrate 80%, you know? Yeah. Hey, we didn't sign up for enough. And that is, again, that's why I love being surrounded by entrepreneurs because we're never going to be satisfied and we're always pushing one another outside our comfort zones. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't sign up for a journey on a boring merry-go-round where I'm just going up and down on the little pony trying to yeah. grab a brass ring. I signed up to climb mountains. Yeah. And when you climb mountains, you fall down mountains. And so let's go do that together, man. Oh, wow. You gave me goosebumps with that. That's that. I mean, that is so good. And honestly, hearing you say that, I will agree that when we've had conversations at our rocks meetings and we talk about Hey, you know what? We didn't achieve, we didn't accomplish this, one of these rocks, one of these goals that we set for ourselves. Um, despite that though, the, the disproportionate amount of progress and effort that was applied in attempting to in and yeah. of itself is the win. That's right. And you, and you eliminated an option that maybe you thought was going to solve an issue. And now you can tackle it from a different angle, right? Yeah. Hey, we, this didn't yeah. work. Let's go try like you, um, I think there's a song lyric from a Jason Mraz song of all things. You win some, you learn some. And mm -hmm. so when you don't win, what did you learn? And how can you get better, stronger, faster the next time? That's the mindset that moves the organization and yourself as an individual forward. So adopt that mindset. Now, if you got somebody on your team who's constantly signing up for lame, easy to complete rocks and justifying 60% completion rate every quarter, that's a problem too. Don't I don't want your listeners to think that I'm comfortable with not accountable people just mm -hmm. because 100% is, is not the goal. Accountability is a key cornerstone of this system, mm -hmm. but aggressive and accountable together is a powerful combination. Can, can we talk a little bit about, I'm, I'm curious, about the accountability component because it is such a it is such a key component of this and something that we talk a lot about internally is that shared responsibility doesn't usually succeed <laughs> in that like you got to give someone someone needs to have ownership of this they might be they might need support and and be able to delegate certain things but they need to take ownership of this of this specific responsibility can you talk to that piece a little bit yeah, yeah what we say when we're teaching the accountability chart is when two people are accountable for one major function nobody's really accountable and a mm -hmm. great example of that is if you happen to have a leadership team with one person accountable for marketing and a different person accountable for sales, which, you know, 30 to 40% of our clients have leadership teams that look like that. Mm -hmm. And we're not hitting our growth numbers. It is not at all unusual to have the head of sales saying, well, we need to do a better job of marketing and the head of marketing saying we need to do a better job of selling, closing the deals we're sending to you. Right. Yeah. That's what we're talking about there. And so what we talk about a lot when we're building the accountability chart is who's ultimately accountable for this thing. Okay. Safety is a great one in a manufacturing term. A lot of the leaders in a manufacturing or distribution firm or construction firm where safety is, you know, a key component of the work they do, you know, the owner or the leadership team will say, well, everybody should have safety in their seat on the accountability chart because we're all accountable for safety. Mm -hmm. And so I say, yeah, but who's ultimately accountable when safety is a problem who do we turn to to fix it? And when we're kicking ass and taking names with safety, who are we high-fiving? 
That's yeah. ultimate accountability. Where are we going to start the inquiry? Right. Yeah. And clarifying that ultimate accountability allows everybody in the organization to know who's really accountable for what. And so if I'm a line level contributor, let's just say I'm a team leader in your manufacturing plant and I'm worried about the way my employees are behaving from a safety standpoint and I don't know how to fix it myself, instead of sending a copy all members of the leadership team email, I go to the head of safety, the person whose bullet in their seat on the accountability chart says safety in it. And I say, hey, would you, could I spend 30 minutes with you? Would you mind coming to my cell and watching people work and giving me some tips as a manager about how I might drive better safety protocols? And now all of a sudden you've equipped me with a tool to solve my own problem rather than sending a blanket email to everybody in the company. That's mm -hmm. what we're trying to bring. Clarify and simplify is a hallmark of what we're doing. Yeah, I, I I will say that another one of our lessons learned within, you know, so we, we've been doing traction uh, EOS for three full years as a company. And another lesson learned was that was that accountability and shared responsibility component where <laughs> the end of the quarter comes and and we're looking at each other and we're like, oh, did you do I did you do that? Yeah. I didn't I didn't do that. Did you do that? And assigning that person to be responsible. I think it's it's another lesson learned. It just keeps going back to a lot of what we're talking about today where, you know, it's you're you're failing forward. Like it was it perfect? No. But we learned a lot. Well, it's it's the definition of solving an issue, John. So it's we got to make a decision mm -hmm. and then we have to agree to take action and we should always assign a single person to own that action and make sure we plug that action into a mechanism where we're checking to make sure that work has been done. That's either mm -hmm. a to-do or a rock. And so again, clear and simple, who's going to go do what? What you just described using another baseball analogy, now that I know you played baseball growing Love up, it. I'm, I'm going to keep coming back to that. It's like a pop fly hit to the shallow outfield. Are the two infielders who are racing towards the ball going to catch it or is the outfielder who's racing into the ball going to catch it and three things happen in that scenario and two of them are bad right you know one is we all know who's supposed to catch it and we get out of that person's way and we make an out the other is oh i thought you guys were going to get it and it drops to the ground or all three of you run into each other and the ball drops to the ground so yeah. that's what we're trying to avoid with clear accountability I love that. I mean, it resonates so so greatly with us as we're you know as we're growing. I mean, of course, when you're a hundred person company and you add another employee, that's still very very impactful. But when you go from five to six and six to seven, one person on the team can have a very significant change and impact to the culture and to the way things are done. And and I'm curious, you know, because for us, and this is selfish question, but as we've grown, you know, one of the things that I've noticed with our our core processes. So kind of like you said, you know, you write them out very simplistic and then they get more complicated as time goes on. What like how quick should we be to make changes to our process or, or the way of doing things? Should we just kind of sit back and observe that or should we like be jumped to to you know quick to jump and make a change? Yeah. So when you're first working to strengthen the process component, one of the things we say in the book is take some time to observe the way things are working now before mm -hmm. you reach in and start changing things right away because you know every step in every process is kind of connected to 11 other steps and so mm -hmm. you know i'm 
I, I'm a problem solver. So I tend to be like a carpenter walking around a framed up house with a hammer. And as a result, everything kind of looks like a nail to me. And so I, I just want to start banging on stuff. Right. And so just calm down, observe, draw some conclusions, record what you're seeing, what's working, what's not working, and then optimize best you can. Now, what do you think the right way to do this is? And then implement that as your process. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then what we teach is in the FBA checklist, FBA stands for followed by all, know that your process work isn't done. Regularly, and we recommend once a year, you ought to whip that process out, ask yourself if it's still simple, clear, optimized, streamlined, whatever term you want to use. Is there an opportunity? Is new technology come out that would allow us to automate one of these steps and save a little time or money? Okay. Mm -hmm. Is 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 there a handoff that's not working in the way we've got the process configured now? Talk to the people who are engaged in the process every day. Hey, what parts about this process seem like they're flowing smoothly and what what parts do things break? Right. Mm -hmm. And and if you just take your process out and try and improve it once a year, it might be that two years go by and you don't make a change, but you've at least asked and looked for opportunities to keep optimizing. And so that's what we say. Get it right best you can early on and then review it once a year and make changes when necessary. It really is a work in progress. I mean, I, I think the whole right. EOS experience is and, and I knew that. I, I honestly, deep down, probably the reason that it took me so long to start the traction book to begin with was because I knew as soon as I, as soon as we picked that, picked that up and started, it was never going to end. And I'm so grateful that we, you know, that we, you know, in 2020 did start that because I've learned over the years that it is an evolution. And there are, I mean, you should see my book. I mean, it's, it's highlighted, it's got notes all over it. And we pull it out for different points in time as we're, as we're growing of like, okay, we need to go back to the people analyzer. Like we need to, we need to reread this. And, and it, it truly is, I think, just, um, you know, just an evolution. And again, this is, you know, selfishly from someone who is like a self-defined perfectionist and has to, has to be right all the time. Uh, that's been my biggest lesson learned is take an imperfect stride in the right direction. Like just, yeah. just keep working at it and keep growing and keep moving. That's right. Um, Peyton, just to be respectful of your time as we wrap, uh, any any final parting uh, words of wisdom or thoughts as we wrap our show today? Yeah, sure. What you know, what I say to your listeners who are running their own organization or a leader in an entrepreneurial organization is stay in touch with what it is that attracted you to this business in the first place. Stay in touch with your passion. When you yeah. lose your passion, bad stuff starts to happen at work, and it often leaks over into home, and so what do you want from this business? Why do you love the business you started or are a part of growing and stay connected to that? And when you can't feel good about your passion being ignited every day, go get help. That's yeah. what I tell your listeners to do. And, and, and if what we talked about today doesn't resonate with you, there are lots of other systems out there, lots of other tools to help you regain the passion you once had for your business. Yeah. Go find those things and implement those things. It doesn't always need to come back to EOS. That's my passionate plea. Yeah, well said. I mean, we we do something every year. We it's it's called an energy audit, and we write down. I mean, of course, because again, I'm a spreadsheet person. It's all in a spreadsheet for me. But I write down every single 
and it's very nitty gritty, but every single activity uh, that I, that I do within the organization, and we kind of rank it on a scale of one to four, one being that you're great at it and you love doing it. And ideally you want to stay in the ones or maybe twos. And then a four would be, you don't like it. And not only do you not like doing that task, you're also bad at it. You're not that good at it. And um, it's been always an eye-opening exercise because the list changes. Like I, I've saved it every year. And, and not only does the list change, but then you know how we've kind of thought about hiring is you know, not in the tr- conventional sense of, okay, well, based on the progression of our company, we need this is the next hire we need. We kind of look at the energy audit and, and try to determine how, like, how best can we stay in the ones and twos um, and get, as you said, get, get, you know, the help that you need. Do you do it any types of exercises like that? Yeah, we, we call it delegate and elevate an EOS very I, I, aligned with what you just said. And, and, you know, what's funny is the love to do and are great at things are easy to hold on to and mm-hmm. the don't like and lousy at things are easy to get rid of where the real trouble comes is that bottom left quadrant and a delegate and elevate tool stuff that I don't like doing but I've gotten pretty good at. And in a small company that mm-hmm. accounts for somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 80% of the founder's job description, because we are successful when we start up a business with a whatever it takes attitude. Somebody mm-hmm. needs to pick up cigarette butts outside the front door of the office. I got to go do that. I might not like it. I might mm-hmm. prefer somebody else go do that, but I've got to get good at that. I want to make sure everything... Oh, we need to build a website. I guess I got to go research how to build a website. And so that's part of reigniting your passion is get back in touch with the kind of work you love to do and are yeah. best at and do better than anybody else and get rid of everything else as you grow. Well, that that actually hearing you say that helped me kind of understand something where every time I've done that exercise, my goal is get rid of the fours, the things that I don't like and the things that I'm bad at. But the actual one of the crux of the one of the main issues is the things that I don't like, but I I am good at just through the years of doing that thing, potentially. That's the real risk Yeah, is is that quadrant. Oh, wow. Well said. Listen, Peyton, this was, uh, man, this is one of the most exciting podcasts for me that we've done. Wow. And, and we, you. yeah, we, we greatly appreciate having you on the show and sharing so much of your wisdom for our listeners. Uh, for the folks interested, what would be the best place to find you on social media or learn more about you and EOS? Yeah, so I'm on on the uh, almost all the socials. So uh, M P A T O N would be a good thing to search for on social, and then just go to eosworldwide.com. You can connect to me or other local implementers in your area, uh, and there's lots of stuff we talked about today that you can find at no charge. You know, kick the tires, use the tools, get what you want from your business. I love it. Well, folks, as we wrap, I'd like to, uh, I'd also like to offer one, uh, something that I think is exciting for our listeners. We, we love spreading the word about above board and we thrive on podcast reviews. So if this is, this is an ask, here's my ask. If you'd be willing to write us a review, screenshot that and email it to me at john at canterpath.com. I'll be sending the first 20 folks who do that a copy of one of Peyton's books of your, of your choosing. So either get a grip or, or process. And who knows? I mean, maybe I'll be more generous and, and do even more than 20. But as always, thank you all so much for listening to us on Above Board with Cantor Path. We'll see you next week. And Peyton, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, John. It was a pleasure. See ya.